Our sermon text today is from Matthew 24, 1 through 31. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased... The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, No human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again gather as a body, longing for the day when all of your people 
shall be gathered together and see your glory, behold you face to face, God. That is what we long for. Until then, you have given us your spirit and you've given us your word, God, and we have your word open. And Father, we pray that your spirit would fall upon us. We earnestly, earnestly want to do your will, God. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us in this time through our worship and through your word. God, could you make yourself known to us in a way that we have never known before? Amen. Well, the soldiers, they came marching and marching and marching. And their tread, it was steady, steady and unending. And, and Peter had known that he had heard about the armies that were coming. And, but what do you do when there's, there's always a hint of disaster? Always a hint, always a hint. What do you do? How do you prepare yourself? So he gathered his wife, he gathered his children, and they come and they, they gather together in the living room and, and the lights are flickering as the bombs are going off around them and he huddles them in. And Peter tells them that there's only one hope, that they must flee. The ground is shaking as he's talking to them. And if they can have only, they can only have one thing. And if they are to have life, that is all they can bring with them. So the, the food in their stomachs, it must be enough. And the clothes on their backs, that will be more than enough. And somberly, they leave the house and they close the door and they know this is the final time, the last time they will ever close that door. And if you were to see that place after they left, it was as if they hadn't even left. There was still food on the stove, laundry was half-folded. The project that Peter had supposed to have gotten done months earlier was still yet unfinished. Happy Mother's Day. And they go and they hurry along, hurry along past the fields and there's famine going on. So the fields, they're barren because you only have so much seed. So what do you do? Do you put it in the ground or do you eat it? You put it in the ground, it might not grow. So they go across the barren fields and over the drive and through the drive river beds and they come to the foothills. And they look up and there is the rock. There is the mountain. And it's a place of unsavory survival, but it's a place of survival nonetheless. So you bring the children, Peter brings the children, then they're, they're weeping, and they're fussing, and they're crying, and they're weary, and they're hungry. And he brings them along, encouraging them along, pulling them along, carrying them along up to the rock, up to the place of their salvation away from the judgment of God, and they come to the rock. And this was the story of countless, countless Christians in the first century. In 70 AD, when the judgment of God came down upon the people, they were, they were warned by these very words that Joe has just read to you. They were warned by these words of the coming judgment of God. And like they, they fled like Lot and his, his daughters. They fled as this burning sulfur pouring down on the land. 
Lot fled. That's the same thing the Christians did in this first century. And the ones who made it, the ones who made it, what did they do? What did they do? They endured. They endured. Endure, my friends. Endure through the trials and the persecution, the famine, the sword, the death that we just read about, or in your life, endure. Endure through your heartache and your loneliness. Through your weakness, my friend, endure. Well, what does that look like, you ask? Well, the first thing is, do not let your love grow cold. So the first thing we're going to look at. Do not let your love grow cold. The second thing is, flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. Do not let your love grow cold. You flee to Christ, and then what must you do to be able to accomplish all of this? Well, you must be prepared, right? So if you are to endure, my friend, as the Christians did in the first century, as is laid before the text, if you want to endure, you must endure, my friends. What? Do not let your love grow cold. When the walls are pressing in around you, do not let your love grow cold. Flee and flee to Christ and Christ alone. And then finally, be prepared. Be prepared. Let's, let's go back to the text here. We'll just pick it up in verse 9 here. Verse 9. And they will deliver you over to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations, all nations, for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And the many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many, the love of many will grow cold. Ah, but, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. Might not. Is not what it says. It could be. No. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Here we are, 2,000 years later. As a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. As you guys know, we've been marching slowly, steadily, through the book of Matthew, as we are in now the closing chapters of Matthew, we are in this Passion Week. And Matthew, he, in, in one chapter, he goes from Abraham all the way to Christ, following this genealogy. And then he goes through this ministry of Christ, and then he slows down to really take his time on this last week. So what do you think is really important? This last week where he really slows down. And right now in our text, we're, we're in the evening of what would be Tuesday of Passion Week. So on Sunday, the first day, he has the triumphal entry. We have the colt with, with the colts, the, the, the cloaks put on the colt and he rides it in. There's palm leaves in there crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's on Sunday. And then he goes back over the Mount of Olives and then back to Bethany where he spends the night. Then on Tuesday, on Monday, he goes to the temple. And he goes in and he overturns table. And he confronts the Pharisees right to their face. 
And you hear the Hosanna again. The Pharisees are conspiring. How are we going to get this guy? How are we going to, how are we going to get him? But the children, after he heals the lame, the blind, and the mute, and the children come out singing his praise. You see this stark contrast between religious elites and then the commoners, those who need healing, and then the children. And as the Pharisees, the very moment, as the Pharisees are conspiring how they might kill him, here you see the children calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see this massive contrast between the two. And then comes Tuesday. Jesus again comes into the temple. He curses the fig leaf as a sign of judgment upon the people. The fig leaf is a sign of God's favor for them upon the land, is it not? So he curses the leaf and you have this judgment. And we're on Tuesday still, right? And he goes in and we have this back and forth with the Pharisees again. And they talk about paying taxes and owing, giving to Caesar what is Caesar. And they give to God what is God. And the Caesar, well, that coin is made in the image of Caesar. Well, give it to him. Well, who are you? Well, you're made in the image of God. Well, give yourself to God then. And he has this exchange with him back and forth. And we have the seven woes that we had the last two weeks. And then... Finally, he, he leaves the temple. He's leaving the temple. This, 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 the pinnacle of Judaism. And he's leaving it for the last time and he leaves it with these words. The verses of the previous chapter here as it wraps up. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as I had gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See? Your house is left to you desolate. They could have had God, but they wanted themselves. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so here Jesus leaves the temple and he goes out of the eastern gate, and it goes down the Kidron Valley, then up the Mount of Olives. And it's in the evening, right? So the sun is setting in the west, and it's glistening, and it's hitting the temple. And the gold and the marble is glistening in the sun as they're on the Mount of Olives over here, and they're seeing the sun. And of course, the disciples, they're telling, look how beautiful this is. Look how religious they are. Look how beautiful this is. And actually, in the first century, even pagans, they would come to Jerusalem to see the temple because it was so beautiful. It was this tourist attraction in the first century. And so, of course, the disciples, they, they come to it. And they, they don't get the response that they anticipated, did they? Jesus, he, he tells them that destruction is coming. He says, there will not be left here one stone upon another. And they're all going to be thrown down. And he tells them of this destruction that is coming. Does he not? And, and that's actually what happened. So in 70 AD, the Romans that we're going to be talking about, we'll reference this several times. 70 AD, the Romans come and they burn the temple and there's gold inside and it melts within the rocks. They literally take it apart rock by rock to harvest the gold from without it. And the disciples naturally... They want to know, when is this going to happen and what's going to be the sign? But Christ, in his wisdom, he gives them the same answer that God gave Job. 
He gives them very little. But He gives them what? He gives them enough to be faithful. And He gives them enough to be faithful. And so, what will they encounter? What, what are going to be the signs here? Well, of course, many. Many are going to come and claim to be the Christ. You're going to have wars and, and rumors of wars. And nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then it's going to get even worse. They're going to come and they're, they're going to put you to death. And you're going to be hated by all nations for my sake. Many prophets will, will arise. And within this next generation of Christ, all of these things did happen. So Josephus, one of the historians, he recounts how in this generation that had this judgment of God come upon them, there were many false prophets that did arise, many sorcerers who would do amazing signs, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the one to bring them redemption, not from their sins, but from their omens. They were seeking liberation from this political thing. A nation rose against nations, and they were put to death, and they had false prophets, and there was also famine. Famine in the land. Again, some of the reference to historians. I don't typically do this, but this is honing in on 70 AD. Eusebius, the first church historian, he writes, the famine was so bad, and the starvation was so bad, that old men, he writes, who clung to their food were beaten. Old men. And if women concealed it in their hands, their hair was torn so from doing. There was neither pity for gray hairs nor for infants. But taking up babes that clung to their morsel of food, they dashed them on the ground. This is the judgment of God that was coming down against these people who had rejected Christ and the Messiah. And all of these predictions were particularly true in this time. They were fulfilled. But let's, let's just step aside and talk about prophecy. So he's predicting, Christ is predicting that this is going to happen, that we see in prophecy. We talk about this in school of theology. That there's oftentimes a immediate fulfillment and then a remote fulfillment. So when you see Isaiah 6, well, um, Isaiah 7, when, when there's the, the virgin... Isaiah writes, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. This was given to from Isaiah to King Ahaz in 735 B.C. As a sign of God's provision for his people in the midst of, of turmoil around them. And it was fulfilled in that time. But of course, there's another true fulfillment, a remote fulfillment down the line. So what is that? Well, it's obviously it's from Matthew 1. You see it here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, the virgin, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, which we just read. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. So there's this immediate fulfillment of prophecy, and then there's a remote as well. But then let's make it a little more personal here. Another example is here, Isaiah 29. Isaiah speaks an indictment against the religious people. And again, 8th century B.C., when he says, the Lord says, because the people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, 
while what? While their hearts are far from me. And their fear for me is a commandment of what? Taught by men. Not taught by God. Not given to them by God, but taught by men. That was true in the 8th century. That was Isaiah's condemnation against them in the 8th century B.C. But what does Christ say about this? It was true in the 1st century, was it not? In Matthew 15, he says, You hypocrites! This is Jesus. Don't be called a hypocrite by Jesus. You hypocrites! Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Of you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching and doctrines, commandments of men. And even today, I would say, even today this is true. Is it not? Are the people of God gathered together? With lips we sing songs, but their hearts are elsewhere? Undoubtedly, that's unfortunately, that's true right here. So you see this, these warnings, all of this is to say, it's not to be a diatribe on prophecy, but all of this is to simply say when we read these, yes, it was fulfilled in a particular time, but is it true of this time? Yes, it is. So what about right now? Do we have wars and rumors of wars and famine and earthquakes and death? Well, certainly. Well, certainly we do. So what was what did Christ command of them? Back then, what did he expect of them then? Well, that he still expects of it, expects this of it of us now, does he not? What does he want us to do? What are we called to do? We're called to endure. Do not let your love grow cold. So, as you're fleeing your home and everything that you know, what do you do? You endure. And when it could not be any worse, you endure and you do not let your love grow cold. So it is with us. We have Mother's Day. And it's bittersweet. You've seen your grandbaby pass away. You're reminded, I'm not a mother. In the midst of all of this, do not let your love grow cold. Endure in the faith, my friend. Do not be cynical. Do not be judgmental. No, never for a minute, for a minute, presume that your will for your life is better than God's will for your life. Endure in the faith, regardless of the circumstances and whatever might be going on. Because we love, why? We love because He first loved us. And His love endures regardless of circumstances. Because if it mattered the circumstances while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if circumstances mattered, well then He would never love us. But no, He does. And as we love because He first loved us, His love endures and so must ours, my friend. Regardless of the circumstances, do not let your love grow cold but endure. As we move on here, we, we see here, starting in verse 15, that Christ gives them some, some particular application of what they might do in their circumstances. So pick it up here in verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader 
Understand? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And this, my friend, is a perfect example of why you hear, you learn, and you obey the Word of God. They see this abomination of desolation spoken of by, by Daniel, and, and it's, it's from Daniel 11. There's various places here that Daniel writes, Forces from him shall, shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress, and they shall take away the regular burnt offerings. And they will set up the abomination that makes desolate. Now this was particularly true when a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, you can tell by his name what he thought of himself. His name means, uh, means God manifest, right? He took that name for himself when he became king. And in 168, he, he did do the abomination. He sacrificed a pig. Not a bull, not a goat, not a sheep. He sacrificed a pig in the temple. And the, so when Christ is saying, this is particularly true, but it's in a general sense, when these heathens come, when this nation, this power that's not of Christ, that is not the people of God, comes and brings destruction to this city, what are they to do? What are they to do? Well, verse 16. Then, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Don't turn back. Don't turn back like Lot's wife when they fled. Don't turn back. No, don't don't go back in your home and grab what is there. Don't turn back and grab your cloak as you see in verse six or 17. So when the judgment of God comes pouring down, it will certainly be difficult, will it not? So verse 19, pray that you are not pregnant or nursing. And verse 20, pray that it is not winter that you would be exposed to the elements as you are fleeing and fleeing away from the judgment of God. It's so terrible. So terrible was this example of God's judgment that the very existence of God's people would have been wiped out had He not cut it short. It was, it was, it was terrible. This, read another account of how terrible this is. And this is why I'm reading these accounts because they're a window into the judgment of God Against people who do not obey His Word, who reject the Messiah. And that's some of you. And He's been gracious to give you pictures of His judgment. Just little snippets of it. So you can see that and be warned. Famine was so severe that dead bodies have filled the, filled the streets. Children and youth swollen from famine walked around and wandered around in the marketplace like shadows, Eusebius writes. And fell over and fell dead. And the agony of death overtook them. And the sick, their own family, they weren't even strong enough to bury their own dead. Such is the judgment of God. And then, on top of the famine, as if that's not bad enough, the Romans come. And they siege the, the, get a breach in the wall and then it's over, right? And the soldiers come pouring into the city. And Josephus writes to that the ground was nowhere visible. So covered was it with the dead bodies. But the soldiers had to climb over heaps of bodies in pursuit of the fugitives. You could walk from one end of the city to the other and not see the ground because of the dead bodies. This is the judgment of God, my friends. Be warned. Be warned of the judgment of God. 
Remember, remember how they cried out, Oh, let his blood be on us and our, and our children when they sought to sacrifice him. Let his blood be on us and our children. And so what will you do? Do you not see that the judgment of, this is a judgment of God upon them for rejecting the Messiah. Well, how is it going to be any different than for us? When we also reject the Messiah. My friends, do not do it. How are you going to deliver yourself? How would you save yourself? Well, they couldn't do it from the Romans. And them being far more righteous than many of us. How could we escape the judgment of God if we can't even escape the judgment of the Romans? It simply cannot do. But what did the Christians do? In this time, what did the Christians do? They, they obeyed the word of the Lord. They, they heard this. Let the reader understand. And they fled. The Christians fled and they fled to the mountains. They fled to the rock. And so it is with the people of, throughout all of the ages. We have been leaving the judgment of God and clinging and fleeing to the rock. And that rock is Christ, my friend. Flee the judgment of God and run. Run to Christ. Flee from your sin and the coming destruction. Do you not realize, my friend, that these warnings, that they're given to us. They're given to us. How many times must we see Jerusalem be destroyed? How many times must the people of God learn this lesson? How many times must we see the punishment of sin? My friend, run from the wrath of God. Let the reader understand. Run from the wrath of God and flee and flee to Christ. So we have this call, this, this call to endure. And how do we do it? Okay, well, one, we don't let our love grow cold. And two, we, we flee, we flee to Christ. We can't run to ourselves. You can't save yourself. No, run and run to Christ, my friend. And finally, we see what must we do to do this? Well, we must, we must be prepared. So let's go back to the text here, verse 29. We'll read the rest of it, 29 through 31. Immediately, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of the Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect. Don't we long for this day? And they will gather, he will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And we see here with this cosmic language that Christ is seamlessly woven together this, this temporary judgment with this eternal judgment. You see? This this immediate judgment and then also the second advent, this judgment that is to come. So it's as if bad things weren't bad enough, right? The moon is growing dim, it's being dampened, you have stars falling out of heaven. 
And then the Son of Man will appear in the clouds of heaven with great glory. And He will gather His elect from the, from the four corners. And this will be nothing short of either the best day or the worst day for all of humanity. Either you will fall under the eternal judgment of God because you did not heed the warnings given to you. You guys, right now, hearing these warnings, you did not heed them. Or, you will be ushered into the presence of God. But do you see what happened here? The Christ has still not answered the question. When, he's, they want to know, when will these things be? He still hasn't answered the question, has he? When is it going to happen? Do you know? You lead us in worship, Jonathan, do you know? No. Curtis, you're an elder. Do you know? No. You don't know. So what must you do? It could be this year, it could be this day, it could be this very hour, it could be this very moment. What must you do? Be prepared. Be prepared for the coming of the Son. When, when you're having company over, they give you a text and say, hey, we're on our way, and you have eight minutes to clean the house, right? And everything, it, it looks presentable by the time they come. The closets are full with everything that doesn't belong there, but it looks presentable, right? But we don't know. Not even the sun knows the day or the hour of when he will return. You must, you must be prepared, my friend. Enough is enough. Carrying on with your religious life. No, get right with God. You're flirting with the wrath of God. Playing Russian roulette, not with a pistol or revolver. No, with the wrath of God. Get right with God. Stop. Don't carry on being broken relationships with your brother or sister in Christ or carrying on in bitterness with your spouse. No. Be ready for the coming Son and resolve in your heart that you will not delay any longer, but that you will endure, that you will flee to Christ. That you will flee to Christ and that you will come before it is too late. Be prepared for the coming Messiah because He is coming soon to gather His people, to gather His elect, and they will be gathered and ushered into the presence of God, which is what we are longing for this true day. When John writes, And I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. My friends, this is what we long for. And this will happen if you endure in the faith. And don't let your love grow cold and flee to Christ. If you have not yet placed your trust in Christ, flee to Him. And be prepared for the sun to come. Let us pray. Father, we, we, 
long for the day that your Son will come and we will behold you face to face and no longer shall there be any crying or mourning or pain anymore and these former things have passed away. God, I pray that our affections would not be so tied to these things that will just pass away, God, but that our affections would be to you and to you alone, God, and that our hearts would be prepared for your Son's coming, that we would always be ripe, God, for your Son to come and to usher us and bring us home into your presence that we might drink of your glory and your beauty forever and ever. Amen. Amen.